So here we are again. And I hope you've been resting into the rhythm of things. The days arising, days ceasing, you know, these times of being together, times when we're doing and being where we need to be in a different way. Just really letting the whole thing unfold and letting it unfold our you know, experience of what it's like to be here in this incarnation. So I this morning didn't think I'd talk to a particular theme, um, rather respond to a few questions and just open the floor up a bit. Um, yeah. To sense now in my um, map for us is we move on to contemplating the path. And you know, in the garden back in New Zealand, seem to have a kind of logic to it, and, and as the Sutta has in terms of what it's like in this rhythm of retreat. You know, we, we let the mind, the energy body settle, and then we use that settledness to start really attending with well-established mindfulness to the way things are, to our experience of reality, and we're cultivating. And what starts to happen, and I'm just aware some of you go, at least one person goes home tomorrow, so what can start to happen is a certain point we need, the mind starts attuning in a different way again. It starts attuning in terms of What's it going to be like coming into manifestation in a way that usually configures us more? Back home, wherever that is. So it is really, you know, the the Buddha's taught this incredible um, realization of his within a path of practice. So let's start attending to what that might mean. And that would be my sense of where our attention starts to flow. Now for some of you, it's still the right time to be in this deepened state. And then there's a stage where we're not losing that that stability and penetrative quality of mind. We start opening the mind up to our senses of the world. And it was always tricky in retreat, but what stage to really start increasing the interaction and the the sense of what happens when we start coming in contact with other people. As many of you know, even coming and you and I having a conversation, dialogue or whatever we call it, but just spending a bit of time with another human being, what happens? And in my experience, it can be really helpful to talk with somebody else, and that's why I would offer it. But we can also see the way 
the mind starts wishing it had said other things. Yeah. You know, if only this or that. And this is usually what it's like in our world. And so we, we start taking this to understand the conditionality that we're actually working with so we get come out of compulsion, it gets much freer. And, you know, in responding to one of the notes, the real work with manifestation is the Brahma Yeah. Can we have this quality of friendliness? And it's laid out with the, the may I be well, may I be free of anxiety. It has particular formulations that we can chant or some people use as a way for arousing this quality. For others of us, it just doesn't work. Yeah, it's too, it's too other. It's somebody else's word, someone else's frame. So we each need to find our access point yeah, for the a kind of tender, soft willingness with experience. This, there is nothing to hold on to, there is nothing to push away. Nothing is going wrong. So we're cultivating in this experience where you know, it starts opening up more for us, becoming more, starting some of us to come more into manifestation, if you know what I mean. It's, it's in when we're cultivating meditative states, the self-boundary can become really soft, in the sense that the um, pleasant states, expanded states, don't have the same sharp sense of me here, you there. That whole thing's much softer. But in this, when we come into contact with a whole lot of stuff, it can get so, you know, we start to, to feel back quite configured. Yeah. I'm here and the other's there. Yeah? It's a, and it usually is arising because painful things hit a kind of what I'd call a self-boundary. Self-boundary. We feel ourselves here all of a sudden. It's not very nice. You know, you can feel it sometimes. And this is really a waking up place. What happened? Yeah. What was the quality of my intention? What was I wanting? Yeah. This is why the morning chanting is so powerful because we endlessly are putting into our mind the causes of dukkha. Yeah. Wanting what isn't here is dukkha. Not wanting what is here is dukkha. Yeah. 
So the very reverse of is nothing to hold on to, is nothing to push away. Yeah. One is freeing and the other is entrapping. Yeah. So th- we can really start to work with this stuff. And in meditation, as I've been saying, you can see it really subtly in our expectations around practice our reasons for practicing. So my challenge to some of you has been, are we doing this out of a sense that we're not okay? We're trying to make ourselves better. And, you know, it's not that even that's wrong, it's just very helpful to know it because When you notice these things, they're no longer such a compulsion. You start being able to choose. Because if we're doing it with something as grounded in compassion as meditation practice, what's happening in some of the other stuff we're up to? Work which I hope is grounded in compassion too, but you know, the places where it's not such an obvious place to cultivate. Yeah? So to find what this cultivation of metta, karuna, mudita or peka is for you. What does it mean? this quality of joy in the well-being of others. Are we delighted to see how happy the trees are? Can you feel them? Can you walk past that little tree down there and see how happy it is? Are we attuning? So letting in a sense of gladness, noticing, so there was a question about me putting on the list words words for Nibbana. So putting a list on the notice board, and that's, I recognise that can be really helpful. I'm going to need a scribe, so if a writer could just help me, because I'm not so good at writing. Can you give me that list and I'll copy it out? Yeah, I might, or just have a word with you to make sense of it a little, because it's a... And then they can copy it, or what? We'll just leave it on the board, and you just (coughs) pick a word that means something to you. You can be like me and I picked up Virajang, Kaimang, Asolkang, which we actually used to chant in the monastery in one of our Purita chantings. You know, um, unshakable, sorrowless. You know, we just start having these words that start once again, for me, they just bring a question. I think, well, unshakable, sorrowless. Yeah. 
it gives me a way, a kind of mirror of what's happening for me. If, if there is this possibility of being freed from sorrow, then I know sorrow is an activity I'm doing. What's happening for me? And I'm not meaning a whole lot of self-psychoanalysis. I mean, there's a place for that too, but in this cultivation, we're, we're actually trying to get at the way we're grasping at the five khanda. Yeah? Form, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness. Yeah. So we're really looking at that and in the chanting it's really powerful because you know, form is not self or form is impermanent it starts with and the classic question the Buddha asked people is if your you know, form is impermanent if your body is impermanent is it suffering? and they say yes Lord is what is impermanent and suffering, can you call it yourself? And they say, no Lord. Yeah? So it's very powerful to ask these kind of questions. If this form was mine, Why am I letting bits of it seemingly start to fall off? Yeah, why, why can't I just be completely free of pain, sitting here you know, with an arm that's happy to write out a thousand times all the different names for Nibbana? Yeah? You can really see that if it was under my control. But it is it? And so the inquiry becomes for ourselves. If feeling the self, why do you have unpleasant feelings? Yeah. So we're using a kind of inquiry. So it's not, it's not, it's using these um, frameworks because they're pointing us in the right direction. And it's a bit like even with feeling. Now we could go into all the subtleties. But often it's just as powerful to know whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. It stops all the proliferation. And certainly for me, when things are getting painful, just to know something is dukkha. Oh, dukkha. Is very powerful. Yeah. That simple knowing without are getting really complicated. It's enough to know there is suffering. Not even I am suffering because I can't, when I really start examining, I can't find myself. But at this time and place, there is this experience. There is suffering. There is fear. There is wanting. There is harshness. Yeah. Just seeing it, not as a self-view, but 
directly. So someone asks about this and how do we soften it, this self-view? And my, in my experience, we do it by number of ways, of course. Because things that have very, been, had a long time getting very solid, it's not like you can just pull a pin and the whole thing. Or some occasionally you can if you pull the right place, but the whole thing starts <laughs> unraveling. But for most of us, we're we're coming at things from many directions. So, and one of the most powerful ways is this inquiry, where we start to look at the assumptions. You know, my question of well, really knowing worry, and then starting to recognise. Not only is worry a habit, if, if there's nothing to worry about, it'll find something to worry about, but that that very experience of worry is what the sense of me being here arises on. Mm. Yeah? So when we start to do this, the personality view can start to soften. Mm. Yeah? When we start to notice how it's actually configured. A sense of me here like this. And when you really see that you take different shapes under different conditions. My cat wouldn't recognise me. (laughs) To my cat, I am its servant. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I do things for my cat I would not do for any other being. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow when it met me, it got me figured. So what my cat thinks I am is very different than what I'm like sitting here. What I'm like when I'm sitting over there feels very different from here too. Just notice that we're not actually a fixed thing. Mm. And it's not dishonest that, you know, for my cat, I'm one kind of creature. For yourselves, I feel different. And for each of you, it will be different. When I'm sitting over there, where I just feel part of the bigger organism, it feels different. Feel how we're conditioned, this whole personality sense of ourselves. With some people we feel like we're funny and hilarious. With other people that never arises. It's not dishonest. It's really about what's happening in these dynamics. And when we start noticing, we start to go, who am I? and it starts softening. So I recognised last night, um, I didn't really address this question, 
I recently read a book about the Terigata poems. So this is the nuns at the time of the Buddha, and they're worth pursuing. There are poems on there are a whole lot of poems on their realization. I wish I brought them with me. A few say I tore apart the dark. What does this mean? So I tore apart the dark. And once again we realise we're talking in metaphor and simile. What would it be like to tear apart the dark? And if often you know, we're talking about enlightenment as this kind of light. So when I hear I tore apart the dark, you get the sense that the ignorance, this, this looking from the wrong place, this, this wrong sea, was just completely rendered and opened out. I'm trying to think there's a lovely phrase about the darkness. Anyway, it won't come, but it, it's, you know, it's a metaphor. It's what it's like when that obscuration is removed. And then in other places, people talk about the shimmering darkness. Certainly within Māori cultural understanding, the darkness is the very ground out of which everything arises. So you wouldn't use this metaphor. So we're talking metaphors. Light comes out of the dark. Which certainly I find a really powerful, maybe it's cultural, but I find a really powerful way. So we have different, what, different things that make sense to us. So, yeah, just feel out what it means. And just a number of folk in notes and things have been talking about what, it, what it's like when we shift the energetic of what we're doing. Yeah. And so um, in this, that whole sense of just making this subtle, and I'm doing it as a physical thing, but it's actually a energetic thing, of just leaning back and how radically that can alter what's happening within the experience. And we start to see, oh, I've leant back and there's a sense of the lineage of the Buddhas behind us and things can figure very differently. So just checking out what it's like when we make really subtle shifts. We recognise there's this most subtle sense 
of leaning forward, of the energy being slightly ahead of itself, not actually really here, feeling grounded and supported, and we make these movements. You can feel it in your body. Just the softest movement back. Maybe there are folk who need to lean forward a little, but I haven't met them. (laughs) (laughs) Not as people who are cultivating. I mean, I have met them, but not in practice places. So that sense, yeah, just taking it out. So anything else at this time would be helpful to talk about. There were a couple of questions that are about practice in daily life. And I thought, well, let's just keep holding them for you know, till tomorrow or the day after. Just kind of let's just pause. So, yeah, anything, or should we just sit a bit and then keep with the yeah? So in practice, um, when I notice that my attention has gone from the breath, yeah, mindfulness lets me know that it's gone. What is the mental factor that um, allows me to sustain attention? What have you been finding? Uh, um, attention, maybe? Attention? Yes. Sustains it? So, so if we looked in terms of the Indriya? I don't know what that is. Faith, energy, oh. mindfulness, <laughs> collectedness, wisdom, kind of understanding the path, the noble truths. You, know? you can look at it different ways, but it can be helpful to look within these frameworks. Mm-hmm. That something recognises that there is advantage in bringing the mind back. Yeah? Doesn't it? Yes. And what's the advantage? I won't put you more on the spot, but, but you know, you start to see, well, there is intention in our attention, you know, and we notice our attention has wandered, and then this quality of mindfulness and clear comprehension, and then the factors of faith, energy, mindfulness, collectedness, wisdom, are part of what, well, what brings us back here. So, in a way, it, I wish I had the sutta, but right at that beginning thing where the Buddha said, what splits the head? Yeah, it's right understanding, wisdom, with its powers and support, these, these qualities. Yeah? Because the wandering is a kind of ignoring, isn't it? You know, it's gone off from the present moment, it's just... It's helpful for me to think of it as mental factors because I see a tendency to say I'm 
not doing it right because yeah. the mind has wandered. And if I can just yeah, and minds wander. There's been a lot of um, training in them to wander. You know, most of us have spent a long time at school. Yeah. Okay. So, in a sense, there's a lot of vipaka, kama vipaka, so the resultant experience. Kama's the active, but the vipaka, the result of what's gone before. You know, and that's partly what the advantage is in bringing, you know, so seemingly bringing it back. It hasn't actually gone anywhere, but, you know, if we talk, once again, we're talking the kind of metaphor, aren't we? Yeah, that we're, we're strengthening the mind's ability to be present here and now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But to really rejoice have this quality of mudita with this ability to notice because this is the waking up quality isn't it we've woken up a little bit of darkness has been sundered after your talk last night about and after the few last number of days, I keep hearing the word soften, soften, let the mind into it, soften. And that with the um, seeing the sense of self and the selfhood and the self-identity, I'm not pleased with my awareness of how separate I am from you or you and this um, constant, chronic. I'm not looking at that shape. I'm looking at a tissue box. Mm. It can't be anything but a tissue box. So my values, my judgments, my opinions, my views are attached. Mm-hmm. And so um, I see that. Yeah, and it's painful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's really painful. Yeah. But once again, like you know, we're saying here. Recognizing it is transformative because then we can come out of some of the compulsions. How could it be otherwise given the kind of conditions? So, what I would hope and what I see is there can be softening and a sense of compassion for what this experience is actually like. And you have it, I have it, they have it, here. And we're all doing the work of of really seeing the way we're constructing reality in a way that is othering, separating and painful. And that's why I use the word softening, because these tissue box perception is a very hard thing, isn't it? Yeah. And then we have views about it. We like the pattern, we don't like the pattern. Wrong shape, wrong place. You know, mind can do a thousand things. Yeah. And when we let it go, 
It's just part of manifestation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's right. It's really where the work is, isn't it? And that's why in this inquiry the Buddha often asks, you know, this sense of when you notice form is impermanent, you know, is this experience painful or not? And we just start this inquiry, is what's painful, is it reasonable when it's out of our control and stuff to take it as self? Yeah. And we self things here, we self things there. Has it chosen? Shall we just sit quietly for a little bit and then Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit Dharma Seed dot org slash donate